Hello, beautiful one. Welcome to today's episode of the Diversity Life Podcast. If you don't know what the Diversity Life Podcast is, it is a weekly conversation with tech industry experts and career strategists, where I interview them about their careers to help you with your own technology career. I'm Kawat Abdul Hakim, the founder of Diversity. His mission is to help you choose and navigate your dream tech career. Visit diversity.com to learn more. If you would like to join the podcast live, which is always fun, it happens every Friday on my LinkedIn. You can find the link to my profile in the description. If you're also not subscribed or you're currently listening, make sure to hit the subscribe button. Now let's get into today's episode. I have a very interesting person here today and uh, her work in healthcare because she's currently a research scientist at the University of Lincoln and she she's doing this amazing research which she will tell us about in a moment. So I'm just going to allow Yetunde to tell us a bit about her career and her career background. All right, thank you everyone for joining. Thank you for having me here. So she has said my name. <laughs> Okay, brief introduction about myself. I had my bachelor's in computer science. And after that, I worked as a software developer and also as a technical team lead for about four years before I then went on to do my master's degree at Sapienza University of Rome in Italy. And I did my master's degree in artificial intelligence and robotics. After that, I actually just graduated graduated in March this year, so like I think three months ago. <laughs> and after my first degree, now I work as a research scientist at the University of Lincoln. My research interest lies in computer vision, behavioral cloning, imitation learning. I, I don't know if I don't know the kind of audience we have, but Probably during the session, I may have to break some of these things down, reinforcement learning and robot learning from demonstrations. So those are where my research interest lies. And that is like the umbrella and applying this research into the health sector is one of the things I love the health. I don't know why I think, I don't know. I just really love the health sector and it's always a pleasure to apply this research in that area. Yeah, the healthcare sector is actually a very important sector, important to all of us. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess we, we all love it. All of us here today, we love the healthcare sector. Yeah, about the audience, we have audience, I believe, in the healthcare space and in tech also, and also those probably doing both. And they just okay. want to learn about how AI is applied in the healthcare industry. Okay, so yesterday, how would you describe the healthcare industry? I think the healthcare industry is that industry where I would say it's for everyone. You find everyone there. So when I say everyone, I mean the young, the old, the poor, the rich, all calibers of people. You find them in the healthcare industry because yeah, everyone health matters. And it's one of the complex, I would say, the, one of the complex industry in terms of the fact that we have like sub industries under the healthcare industry. So we have like, the drugs part of things like the pharmacy, you know, when you say healthcare, people just think of maybe hospital or something, but I, it's, it's, I think it's much more than that. You have the pharmacy, pharmacy part, of, uh, part of the healthcare industry. You have the insurance, even the, those who are in charge of 
you know, the HMOs, those in charge of the insurance policy that governs the healthcare industry. And then you have, let's say, the medical practitioners as well. So it's that, it's that industry that I would describe as very complex, very large, and at the same time, it's very inclusive. Like nobody can do without the healthcare industry. Nobody. Yeah. What what interests you the most about the healthcare industry? Like I said earlier, it's it's because of its diversity, it provides many opportunities. So if we just pick medicine alone, without even looking at the pharmacy or other, if you just pick medicine alone, under medicine you have like different, you know, you have the ophthalmologist, you have the dentist, you have those who take care of the ears, those who take care of the gynecologist, you have the radiologist, you have, you know, different careers on the healthcare industry. That is just even in medicine alone. Like I'm just talking about medicine. Outside of medicine, you still have other sub-industries. And it interests me because I also feel like it's, it's that industry where most people are not really paying attention to in terms of how AI can actually be applicable. Most people, we, we have a lot of, how will I put resistance. I think that's how I can put it. A lot of resistance because most people feel like mm, we don't want, you know, we don't want the robots in our space. We don't want the AI in our space. And I think it is one of, that's why I'm actually interested in it because it's, it's, it's an industry that we need to shine light and, you know, tell, showcase the the great things that we can do like preventive disease for example you know there are already companies who are already doing this where when they have your data and all of those things you can actually have early diagnosis of diseases and even prevent preventive measures that can you know be applicable in terms of using ai and you know technology in general yeah, thank you. I want to like remind you again, if you've got questions, put them in the comments at any point during the live stream and um, we'll make sure to look at them. And if you have comments also related to what we're talking about, you know, based on your own experience or something related, let us know in the comments. Okay, so you've talked about what interests you the most about healthcare. Now, what interests you the most about AI? Oh, okay. I think number one, motivation or number one thing that interests me is that you can be lazy, <laughs> but jokes apart. Yeah, so I used to say that I'm this kind of person that if I can have everything automated in my life, I would, I would gladly accept it. So AI is one of that, is that field where you get to, you know, automate things. And the most interesting side of things is, I mean, as the name says, artificial intelligence, it's just intriguing that, you know, you can actually, make a system that is not human intelligent and aside that there are a lot of career prospects in terms of you know it's rising and then there are a lot of opportunities there are a lot of research that are ongoing and you know the world is changing and it's just very i think one of the major reasons why ai is now very popular or yeah out there is the fact that we now have data over the years we've gathered enough data because that is in my, when it comes to machine learning that is one of the things that you use to you know build up your models so it makes it really interesting and the fact that i'm lazy i i don't mind a robot that would do all my tasks <laughs> that will take care of my chores that will cook for me and you know so many other things and can you still hear me Yes, I can. 
Oh, okay. Okay. All right. I just wanted to be sure. So yeah, it's and okay. the fact that we can even, you know, model how the human brain works in terms of neural network, for example, and, you know, the mathematics side, I love math, I love calculations. And so the mathematics side of, you know, bringing applicable math, I see AI as an applicable math in a way. So, I mean, it just kind of covers the things that I love to do. And yeah, it's, I mean, <laughs> I may not have the proper words to really explain, but I love AI <laughs> and everything about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, tell us about your research work. I've been waiting for this part. Tell us about your research work, what you're currently doing, and how okay. you personally combine AI and yeah. Okay. So in my current research, I am actually working on having, so you know the way we you have, so I'll use the UK as an example. The way you have phone booths where anybody can go into the, by the street and then you have a phone booth and anyone can walk in, you know, and make a call. So the, this particular research is actually sponsored by Cancer Research UK. And what we are trying to do is to have this accessible, you know, booth that can be in the street. Of course, I'm, I'm not on the administrative part of things, but a booth that, you know, you can just walk into and you have like an automated, you have a robot that can actually perform breast palpations on your breast and it's able to detect lumps. And from there also detect if the lumps are cancerous. So that is an overview of, you know, what I'm working on. And there are different aspects to this. There is a part of the robot identifying um, the size of the breast, and because when you when you're doing so I'm just going to use my hand and I hope this is no way to use I... my hand <laughs> as a breast so okay and so there is a part where the robot comes so it, it's a combination of medical robotics and also soft robotics so when I say soft robotics it means that the we have something called end effector and the end effector of the robot is you know the end point let's just call it the end point so this is like my end effector so as a doctor yeah. you come and then you do different there are different ways you do palpations you can do something like this and then you just feel if there is a mass and all of that and then there is the part where you you know do the straight hand and all of so it's it's a way to reduce cues at the at the hospitals there are also many women so because Apart from the research of building this, you know, fantastic robot, there's also the part of getting to know if women. So we have a team who are speaking to women in UK and all of that, trying to find out, you know, what their preference is, if they will ever use a robot like this. So there is that part. And according to them, many women actually would prefer robots to do their breast palpations than a medical doctor. Like for someone, they would want a female gynecologist, for example. So what if you can have, I mean, this is just a machine. It doesn't know you. <laughs> it doesn't really know much yeah. about you. And then you're, many, many women actually say they are more comfortable with using this, you know, robots to do their, you know, that can do their. So it also promotes early detection in the, in the, in a way that, you know, most women are scared. Like they don't even want to go, they don't, you can't. You can't have a woman who always maybe every three months wants to go to a doctor and have a breast examine, examined. Not everyone wants to do that, but they would prefer to go to the robot, even if it is every week, <laughs> for the robots, you know what? 
do the early uh, detection in case there are, you know, lumps. So that is uh, an overview of what I'm working on. And the name for this is just robot learning from demonstrations. So what happened is when we, when we are taking the data set, we are doing something called a kinesthetic teaching. So kinesthetic teaching means that you are manually making, your manually is like when you have a child and you, you want the child to write and you hold the child's hand and allow the child write and that's where the child learns. So some, some researchers will call it imitation learning, some will call it robot learning from demonstrations, but that is actually you know, what it entails, where you are training the robot to do the same palpation, same task and at the end of the day the robot is able to learn from your demonstrations yeah that's a super interesting application <laughs> it's very very interesting okay if you're a woman let us know in the comments would you prefer a robot to um, <laughs> yes, walk on please. your breast yeah let us know would you prefer <laughs> a robot to walk on um your breast or not for me i'm indifferent Mm, I don't okay. know <laughs> because you know I I wouldn't mind you know okay. um, given <laughs> given that I I just would want to be sure that okay this system is actually in good condition it has been trained well you know and I'm and safe. It's not going to do. <laughs> I know I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If you're a woman, let us know. If you're a man too, would you allow? Would you be okay with your wives? You know, having robots robots work on them basically so now let's not even talk about the breast the whole body in general you know there are robots that actually perform surgery now yeah. i don't know like if it's yeah there are robots that perform surgery now so these are very interesting innovations okay so yeah as you're responding to that yet today what are like other interesting innovations that you've seen aside your own research in the healthcare industry I'm interrupting this podcast to remind you to subscribe if you haven't and also nudge you to visit diversek.com to kickstart your technology career or get help navigating your existing tech career. Okay, back to the discussion. Yeah, there are a few examples of them. I think one of them that blows my mind is the use of nanorobots. So they are very, you know, very tiny, like the name nano. And of course, they are not yet in the industry. So what I mean is like they, they are not, they have not gotten to that stage where they are fully embraced, but I've seen a lot of research papers and publications about it. And that is one, one of the things that I'm also interested in. And so in, in a, a, a very fantastic use of nanorobots is when you have, it's like a small pill. So let's just call it a small pill that you take. But in this case, it's a, it's a very tiny robot and you take it and there is like a visual where the doctor or the examiner can can see the inside of your system using this nanorobot. And it can also be used for drug delivery, maybe to certain places in the in the body and all of those things. I think one of the major I, I had spoken to a medical doctor about it before and I remember he because he has an idea about you know AI and all of that. And he mentioned in the fact that pancreatic cancer is one of the cancer that is very hard to to detect, I think the medical doctors will have to insert something into your spinal cord to, to draw some fluid. I may be wrong, but I, I remember you kind of gave me a, a brief lecture about it and how nanorobots can actually be used to for early detection of pancreatic cancer. So that is one, the use of nanorobots where you can use it for drug delivery, 
to penetrate maybe body systems that maybe a normal drug or, you know, for faster treatment. Then the second one would be the use of virtual reality with robotics. So I've seen, I remember I saw one innovation around that where they're using, where you're combining, you know, when you're teleoperating. So when I mean teleoperating, you are not, teleoperation is like you are controlling another machine with a certain tool, but you are not on that machine. Something like, it's like when I'm controlling my phone, but I'm not actually holding my phone, I'm using something else. So I've seen that case. I think another one is, which is very fantastic, is how they have used AI. I remember a Chinese, when I read the report, it was a Chinese company that actually used AI to predict, given the patient conditions and medical data, they are able to predict if a particular patient in coma would actually recover from the coma or, you know, (laughs) will not. And I remember in in the report, it's a, the, so the AI will give you a score, which is like, I think, between a range and the, I think the lower the score, the lower the chance and the higher the score, the higher the chance. And, and it was interesting to see that there was a particular patient or a case where, you know, it was the doctors are like, no, they are, the, this person is not going to make it. And the AI actually predicted a very high score. And they doubted it, but <laughs> eventually the, the person was able to recover from coma. So, you know, these are fantastic things that I've seen that, that are, you know, they've mentioned AI and health. Another one is, which is very simple, but I think it's more important, is also recognizing depression from people's phone activities, you know, knowing mm-hmm. from your activities if you're actually depressed yeah. and, you know, having an SOS message sent to you to, to, help, to help you, you know, get over it, especially for people who don't, you know, talk out. Yeah, the healthcare industry is very, is what, and, and its combination <laughs> with AI is, it's, it's limitless. Like, there are a lot of things. That AI can be applied. Yes, yes, yes. It's yes. quite interesting. Yeah. Very interesting, Thank actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have some comments. Let's look at okay. them. Real quick from, this is like a long question. Okay, so this is okay. from Becca Han, and he says, Will someone without a background of engineering or coding be able to understand on a technical level or even write AI-related algorithms? Okay, let's answer them one by one. <laughs> okay, so let's answer the first one. Okay, so the, the question is, would they be able to understand? Because I think I'm seeing it, and I, I already finished all the question. but the one you're asking now, is the one I'm to answer is for them to be able to understand on a technical level or even write AI related algorithms? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. It doesn't, if I want to tell this person, if you can check retina.ai, that is one of my uh, mentors, although I don't know him directly, but you know, when you have like someone you look up to and they are just doing, it actually started as from a medical background. And then from there you went to, to school to you know upscale is computer science skills so is is he has both medical background and he has both you know ai the ai background so yes and it's not like you have to go to a proper proper school like a university they are actually yeah. i think audacity and coursera has i actually started my journey from audacity and coursera before i decided to go for my master's degree so yes you can absolutely write ai algorithms is just there's this other guy now I forgot his name is on I actually follow him on YouTube and I can tell you that he he was actually an Uber driver 
he's a white guy i can't remember his name the white guy is a, he, he drives he was an uber driver and from an uber driver who has i think he has an art background he went into machine learning and now he actually has a youtube channel with a lot of subscribers and he actually even have tutorials that he and he, he didn't have any formal you know education it was just all online courses I hope yeah, I, I guess that answers the next two questions. Let's look at the last one. It says, should everyone in the medical sector be proactive in the emerging AI technologies? And if yes, to what level? Absolutely, absolutely yes. Because if you look at Da Vinci, the Da Vinci robot, for example, is a robot that is teleoperated. So I'm going to, I don't want to assume that everybody, you know, and the audience will understand the terms that I'm mentioning. So DaVinci robot is, is actually used for robotic surgery. And it, it's one of the most, you know, common robotic surgery tool that is used. And the, the medical surgeon actually, actually tell your pre, patient using this DaVinci robot. So you're, they are not really using their machine. Like I have explained earlier, they are actually using, you know, some other tool to actually operate the machine. And one of the most interesting thing about the DaVinci robot is that it gives you precision. So when maybe, for example, you are to operate on, on, you know, suturing, let's say suturing, you want to suture a wound or close up a wound or something, you want to make it non-invasive in a way that you don't leave too much scars on the patient's skin, for example. So when you're using like a DaVinci robot, it gives you precision in a way that if you are moving beyond where you should move, you feel the resistance. So it's telling you that, you know, you are going out of line and it, it just makes you aware that you need to be precise. So I think in the medical space, to a larger extent, we should, the medical sector needs to start embracing the use of AI. Because we are not, so people usually see it like, oh, the robot to take over the world, AI take over the world. I remember I had to tell a friend of mine that, see, we that we are working in this field, if really the things that you see in movies is actually what we see in our lab, our jobs will be far better. <laughs> so I had to calm her down, like, wait, just hold on. What you see in the movies is, is really not, you know, what we see in the lab. So you just need to calm down. So we, I, I don't agree, actually, I work in this field, and, and I don't agree that an AI or a robot to just take over a surgeon job or a medical what what we are doing is a synergy like combining and making your work better i mean I, i'm sure that for example a doctor would prefer to do other things that are not mundane than having 50 patients line up for breast examinations so yes yeah. they sh we should they should be proactive because it's not like we are taking the jobs we just want to you know reduce the cues that you have by automating your mundane tasks and also enhancing what you do, like giving you precision when you're doing a surgery, for example. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> I hope your question was answered, Becca Han. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next question here. But before we move on, I want to know if you can hear us, if you're still with us. Let us know in the comments if you can hear us because I can't see any activity. So just say something tell us if you can hear us tell us if you're enjoying the session let us know in the comments so that we know that you're following okay there's another question here mm -hmm. this is related to your research from nilesh he asked is it is this similar to blood pressure measurement 
sorry, is this similar to the blood measurement? Oh, sorry, blood no. pressure measurement tool found at CVS, wild grains or wild mats, but using AI for breast lump? Okay, I'm sorry, I actually don't know about it too. <laughs> I don't. I guess this question is in the United States. I may be wrong. Yeah, I know. I but I know that you know wild grains or wild matter is it, but we don't have it. Yeah, yet, so. Nilesh, if you can like explain the functioning of that tool, would love yeah. to learn because <laughs> I don't know the yeah. tool too. Yeah, yeah. All right. I think, yes, but I, I can describe again. So it's basic. Excuse me. It's basically having a robot. It may not be, it's not, it doesn't have, so there are times when we, when we say robot, people usually think like, is that robot that looks like a human? Not all, when we say robots, not all, we have the humanoid robots and we have the manipulators. A manipulator can just be, so, you know, a, I wish I have like pictures to show, but a manipulator, you can just, you know, check online, robot manipulator. So a manipulator can just be an arm. So it's like, when you go in, walk into a bot, you see an arm, but it's mechanical, it's not human hand, yeah. but it's, it's body structure and it's hands and all of those things are soft. And then it's able to like do breast palpations on the breast. So that is how the system works. I hope that helps. I don't know this too, so I really can't compare if it is the same, but I hope my description helps. Okay, yeah. I can see your responses. Thank you, Noah, thank you. Gardenia for letting me know that you're still with us, that you can hear us. Yeah, okay. Nilesh gave an explanation to the tool. He says it is just like a DR me measuring your it's blood doctor. pressure, mm -hmm. but at CVS. It's, it's a self-serving yeah. tool. Yeah, this is self-service as well. Actually, some of the in some of the responses we got, I, I think some of the women actually said they, they don't mind having it in their house. That was very weird, but I think some women will prefer to do breast palpations every day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's move on. What would you say are some downsides to using AI in healthcare? Yeah, I think I've mentioned. Well, maybe not directly mentioned it, but implicitly, I think one of the downside is the fact that the medical, not all of the medical practitioners are willing to, you know, collaborate with us. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I think that is like the major, major downside that I see. And yeah, like just having them collaborate and be open-minded to the fact that we are not taking jobs or we just, you know, want to answer what they already do and make their work even more, much more easier. And the second would be maybe sharing of data. Most people would not want to share that data, which is also a challenge that you find in the healthcare industry. I think even in most most industries, but I think in the healthcare, yeah. Like, yeah, I don't want people to know that I have this or I have that. And even I remember like there was a professor back in my own country, which is Nigeria, who actually, she works at Unilab. And I remember her, you know, telling me about her experience at getting uh, medical data from the University of Lagos Teaching Hospital. And the fact that they said, no, they don't want to release their patient data. They don't, they don't want to, you know, just release the data. And I mean, she tried to explain to them that it's going to be anonymous. You don't have to, you can actually anonymize this data. You don't have to give us the raw file where we see the patient's name or something like that. But they were still not open to it at all. I mean, this is Africa anyway, but I believe that in the West, Western world, probably is much more better. So that's another downside. Yeah. Then I think the third one is that we can't have, no matter how good our research is, 
no matter how great our research is, I don't think that there's going to be a policy that will leave human health care and decisions solely to, an, to a system. So maybe that is not a downside, I don't know, but I think it's one of the downside as well. We, 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 I don't think that the, no matter how the research is awesome and all of those things, we, we can't- There has to be someone so, monitoring. Yeah, we can't solely leave healthcare to, to machines. That is, not, that is not going to be possible. Yeah. What are researchers like yourself doing to like, you know, reduce or, you know, eradicate these downsides? Oh, well, <laughs> I think I, for me, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> but I think one of the things that we can, I would not say, oh, this is what I'm doing already. I'm not going to be like that because I'm not sure I'm actively, you know, of course, when I talk to medical practitioners and they get to understand what our work entails, they see that, you know, we are not taking over all of those things. I think, yeah, we just need to educate more. We also need to draw, you know, bring maybe, so I, I, I know of someone who actually conducts this conference every year where she brings, and she only does it for medical students in a university where she brings medical students and she just brings different speakers and educates them about how medicine and technology are being matched together. So I think we need a lot of that education for the medical sector to know that, you know, we, we just want to enhance your work and, you know, make things better because most of them, you know, have this mindset that, oh, we'll take the data, they don't want to release their patient's data. So education, I think, is one of the things that, maybe this is not a work of a researcher, because trust me, a researcher has a lot of headaches and a lot of things going on than to sit and <laughs> educate <laughs> them, you know, but uh, I believe that this is something that, yeah, probably researchers or maybe some other people can pick up to, you know, we just need things like, even what we are doing right now is one of the ways that we are, you know, educating people about how healthcare is, how AI and healthcare can come, can come together. Yeah, and I think a lot of our research, probably one suggestion I, I would also have is that most of our research work are usually very technical, such that a medical person may not understand. So maybe accompany our research with a non-technical background abstract maybe that's our a summary where someone who is not technical who doesn't know about our jargons of what a robot is or end defector is or all of those things can be able to read and still understand because i think that's one of the things that maybe just puts them off the technical details is like jargons to them so yeah. simplifying it and communicating it in their language i think is also one step to you know bring that synergy together yeah, thank you. This is meant to be a 30-minute session, oh, and we are 35 wow. minutes in. What's your schedule like to take <laughs> like two more interesting questions because they keep coming in? So what's your schedule okay. like? I think I can, I can take it. Yeah. Okay, let's look at this one real quick. From Beckerhan again, he asks, what's your opinion on the possible ethical concerns about future medical or surgical treatment done completely by AI? Wow, that's a tricky question. It's like putting me on spot. <laughs> wow, like I said earlier, I personally don't think that we want all of healthcare to an AI. So this is actually a concern, like you said. I personally, even though I'm a researcher, 
I personally don't think that I want to completely depend on an AI to be, you know, what makes every decision for me. So yeah, I won't, you know, of course we have apps, we already have even most diagnoses and all of those things. It's not usually left for those that I, those companies that I know that are using, it's not usually left to the AI. There's always a final state of a human in, in you know, everything. Even if you have maybe apps that can say, oh, you should do this or you should do that, there, there should still be a control over, you know, over the, the decisions that the AI is making. Because, yeah, technology is technology. Machines are machines and it can misbehave. But a human, there is, yeah. of course, humans are even prone to errors as well. But I think when the AI and the human should agree before a decision is made. Okay, thank you. I think this just emphasizes what he said initially. I believe that there is a profound fear from the side of physicians when it comes to being replaced. So even if you had that level of developed AI, which would have lower mistake rates than humans, they would be hesitant to give in to AI. So how do we combat that struggle and reconciliate AI and doctors? Okay, so this is how I'm going to describe, you know, my answer to this. Like you said, the AI can have lower mistake rates than humans. And there is also the possibility that the, how do I put it on? The, the practitioner do not agree. I mean, like you said, they will be hesitant to give in to the AI. They not agree with the AI. Like I said, there was, I think I mentioned it earlier, like in, in China, there was this AI that said the patient was not going to make it, that, that said the patient was going to make it, but from the doctor's point of view, the, the patient actually would not make it. And at the end of the day, the AI was correct. So I think if we are being truthful and sincere to ourselves, and I mean, you know, with the researchers, about what we've done and the doctors about their own opinion. There's also the part of feedback. So most companies that I know that are integrating AI into healthcare don't just put force it on the doctor and say, you know, just use it and whatever our AI say, just agree to it. I think that would be wrong to do. But what can be done is that even if the doctor do not agree, there should be room for feedback such that this feedback is then well taken by the researchers. To know why you know the doctor would not agree to you know what the AI has said and I think those feedback are very important to keep improving and you know improving the AI system such that you know it gets to a place where you know we have I mean I've not seen any system that have a hundred percent accuracy or sensitivity there's always yeah. that there's still that there's always still that gap between the hundred percent. And so I know that no AI researchers will say, you know, well, my AI is always correct. It was just hundred percent on my test cases or something. But the major thing is that even when the when they don't agree with the feedback, they they, they share reasons why they have they have not agreed. And I mean, things like this is what we use to improve our system. Yeah. Thanks. And the, there's a comment from Sadiq Akintola. <laughs> I really wish we could do this, but <laughs> I really wish we could do this, but we have to go. <laughs> um, I, I, is, does everyone share thoughts that we should keep her around and continue talking? I don't know, but 
honestly we have to like go this like 10 minutes past time i'm going to wrap this up with alexandra's comment alexandra says there are many there has been many developments that improve the quality and equity of medical care ai will not be able to replace clinical judgments but presents an opportunity to provide additional information that supports the clinical practice exactly. for providers reduce for providers, reducing the risk of liability due to misdiagnosis or human error can be reduced with this supportive technology. Thanks, Alexandra, awesome. for that comment. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This brings us to the end of today's live session. And I hope you guys join again next week for the next topic that we'll be talking about. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Diverse K podcast. If you found it helpful, Please share it with your friends and colleagues that would also find it helpful. Do have a wonderful morning, afternoon or night. Until next week. Bye.